0: Lord Jesus, I pray that as we come to what the Bible says, that you would uh, use my words and use the thoughts in our minds and in our hearts to help us understand you better and give more of our lives to you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. My uh, one-year-old daughter, Lucy, loves M&Ms more than any other candy in the whole world. If we give her one, she wants two. If we give her two, she wants three. If we give her three, she... I mean, so she just... She loves them. In fact, she loves them so much that she doesn't eat them. She just holds them in her hand. And if one of us gets close to her and she thinks we're about to take one of her precious M&Ms, she grabs on all the tighter. And after a few minutes in her sweaty little hands, guess what happens? They melt. And her hands just become a sticky mess, which I find very disillusioning. Because when I was growing up, as a kid, the TV commercials always promised what about M&Ms? They melt in your mouth. Is that a ripoff or what? Total false advertising. I'm going to sue someone. In trying to hang on to her M&Ms, Lucy loses them. How's that for a sermon illustration? Yeah, my wife gave it to me. I have a friend who went through the Bible and counted up all the promises that Jesus makes to us to discover which one he makes the most frequently. And do you know what the number one promise Jesus makes to us is? If you lose your life, you'll find it. Does that surprise you? It surprised me. The number one promise wasn't, I'll always be with you. It wasn't, I'll be there. I'll use every bad circumstance for good, although he does those things. The most frequent promise Jesus makes is, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. It's another one of those paradoxes of living in Jesus' upside-down kingdom that we've been talking about since January. If we hang on to life We'll lose it. If we let go of our life for Jesus' sake, we'll find it. And for me, I don't know about you, but for me, this is very hard to understand, not only because it's a paradox, but because our whole culture encourages us to do just the opposite, right? To hang on to our lives as tightly as we can, to strive to get more stuff, more comfort, more prestige. And the promise is that by all that grasping, we'll get the good life. But the reality is that's an M&M promise, It is false advertising. All we get is a sticky mess. As I told you last week, for all of our efforts to get ahead and achieve and all of that, all we get is stress, worry, and even if we end up getting the things we want, the satisfaction of those things doesn't really last. This week I came home to find samples of artificial grass strewn about our kitchen table. You see, for the last two years, my wife and I have been making little upgrades in our yard because we just love to do it. It makes us feel so good. The problem is, problem is it is never ending. I mean, first we put in a play structure and then we built a planter box and then we had uh, David Wells help build a retaining wall for us. I mean, poor David, right? I mean, I, I mean, it's just one thing after the other. But now we have this soggy little mud pit that doesn't grow any grass. It's all shady. And we are just sure that artificial grass is the answer to all of our problems. It will fulfill all of our dreams. If we get the artificial turf as human beings, we will have reached the apex of life and we will be totally, completely satisfied. And the best thing about the artificial grass is I'm just sure if we get it, we're never going to want anything else ever again. Happiness is always just one more thing away, isn't it? As soon as we get the new job, the new house, the new toy, we just want more. It's like like life holds out a series of carrots for us to chase. And when we get there, we find out what every dieter knows. Carrots don't satisfy. So why are we chasing them? The more we try to hang on to our life, the more we lose it. But the promise Jesus gives us, in fact, the number one promise Jesus gives us, is that if we lose our life for his sake, we'll find it. And he says there are only two things we have to do to get this new life. And the first is this. We have to deny ourselves. Sounds pretty cool, huh? Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my follower, let them deny themselves. Now, we've got to understand what that means. Because I don't think that denying ourselves means to make ourselves miserable. Or to deny ourselves things. As in, I'm denying myself chocolate for Lent or something like that. To deny means to disavow any connection with something. It's what Peter does when he's asked if he knows Jesus. Remember, he says, I don't know the man. I have no connection to him. To deny self means that's what we say about ourselves. I don't know the man. I don't know the woman. It's not thinking less of ourselves. It's not thinking of ourselves at all. To deny self means we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus. And everything we have belongs to Jesus. Our careers, our money, our homes, our time, they all belong to Jesus. And he gives us those things to enjoy, certainly, but also to use for his purposes. This week, I was previewing this sermon with some of our elders, as I do each week. And one of them said that a few days ago, she was having a very hard day at work. And in the middle of this day, she just sort of let out this big sigh. And her her co-worker looked at her and said, are you having a hard day? And she said, yeah, I am. And he said, I am, too so she asked, well, why are you having a hard day? And he said, well, I just found out my grandma is having some really serious heart troubles and I'm really worried about that. So this elder talked with him and made him feel better. And along the way, she ended up feeling better, too. That's denying self. Her time, her job, it, it didn't belong just to her. It belonged to Jesus as well. And she was there to use, use that, make that available to Jesus to use for his purposes. And as a result, not only did did she comfort this coworker, but she herself got comforted. She let go of just a little bit of her life, just a few minutes of her life, and she got more life back in return. Lose your life and you find it. And this doesn't have to be some big, huge, time-consuming service thing. You know, as we've been talking about Jubilee and serving and going out in the community and giving ourselves away, many of you have said, I am too busy to do that. And to deny yourself and do service, it may not mean that you have to add something to your schedule. It it may. It may mean you need to cut something else out so you can serve. But for many of us, it'll mean just doing what we're already doing, only differently. Doing it for Jesus this time. All this elder did was go to work like she always does and then sighed. And was available to be used by God as a result of that. We all can do that, right? I think every one of us could sigh for Jesus. I think we have it in us. I know an older woman who's homebound, but she uses her time to make all the recruitment calls for her church, you know, Sunday school teachers, that sort of thing, and uses that as an opportunity to talk with the people and find out about their lives and find out about how she can pray for them. How could you give up just a little bit of your home, your time, your job, your skills, your money, to be used by Jesus? That's denying self. And when we do this, we get life back because it gets us out of ourselves. And doesn't that sound liberating? Not to always be thinking about myself. How am I doing? Am I happy? You know, am I me? You know, all that. I mean, just so freeing to get out of that. After Christina and I got engaged, I I started to freak out about the whole engagement thing and started to think, oh, no, I I don't have what it takes. To, I'm not marriage material. You know, this isn't going to work. And I, I just sort of started spiraling in on myself. And just, you know, what, you know, is this going to work? And how about me? And, you know, what about me? And then there's me. And, you know, I sort of sort of sounded like an opera singer warming up, you know, me, 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 me. Right. Well, this all reached kind of a crescendo one night. We were out at a restaurant having dinner and I started to cry, not just little tears, but full on unmanly sobbing kinds of things. And and I was saying, you know, I don't have what it takes to be a good husband and this is going to fail and when it does, I'm going to be embarrassed and everyone's going to be mad at me because it's all about me, right? That's called narcissism. It's a disorder. And I was just sort of spiraling into myself, making this huge scene in the restaurant and through the whole thing, Christina just kept cutting her meat and eating. (laughs) And I took a pause and she looked up and she said, are you done now? Because I was sort of thinking blue would be great for the bridesmaids' dresses. What do you think? I was sitting there going, okay, pastoral care, not her gifts. Check that one off, all right? But then she started talking about the wedding and got me talking about the wedding, got me talking about her, got me talking about other people, got me out of myself. And it was so liberating. It sounds so harsh to say we must deny ourselves, but really it frees us because it gets us out of ourselves. You know, sometimes you hear people ask the question, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book would you bring? And if you're in a church, you sort of feel obligated to say the Bible, right? When really you're thinking a book on how to build a boat, duh, (laughs) right? The truth is all of us are marooned on a deserted island called self. And following Jesus is the boat that will take us away from that. We lose our life by denying self, and that frees us and gives us new life. The second thing Jesus says we have to do in order to find our life by losing it is we have to take up our cross and follow him. Deny self, take up our cross. This sermon's just getting better and better, isn't it? Glad you came to church, right? Again, we've got to figure out what Jesus means by take up your cross, because I don't think he's talking about the normal hardships of life. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, that's just the cross I have to bear. You know, nearsightedness is the cross I have to bear. My husband is the cross I have to bear. Not that I've heard that personally, you understand. But that demeans the cross, not to mention the husband. The cross wasn't something that was forced on Jesus. He chose it. It was the result of who he was and what he did and how he lived. Our cross isn't the hardships that are part of life. It's what naturally results from following Jesus. Things like rejection. If we follow Jesus, we might get rejected. Downward mobility. If we really follow Jesus' ethics, we may not rise as far as fast. Being out of our comfort zones to do the things Jesus asks us to do. If we do the things Jesus did, there will be some crosses. Which sounds terrible. Terrible. Until you remember that in the Christian story, the cross is not the last chapter. The resurrection is. Jesus is killed, but then he's raised to new life, a better life that can never be taken away. And it's the same with us. We lose our life. We fling it away for Jesus, and he gives us a new life, a better life that can never fade. In the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the analogy of a grain of wheat. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, that doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? Especially if you're the grain of wheat. And if grains of wheat could think, it might be thinking, I hate this. I'm stuck in the mud. It's cold. It's dark. It smells bad. I hate this. But after some time, things begin to happen, right? It starts to feel something inside and a sprout comes out and leaves appear and then fruit. And at that point, the seed probably thinks, cool, I didn't know I had it in me. And that's the same with all of us. We die to self and then with some time, with some time, God's new life starts to live through us. And this is what we've been talking about ever since September. As we've been talking about the meaning of Jubilee in the Bible and what our Jubilee year means for us as a church. How can we celebrate that by turning outward through acts of service that show our community the real Jesus We've talked about how we can do that in our schools, our homes, our offices, through simple things like listening to a coworker or helping with a project. We've talked about how we can do that together as a church through our partnership with Stevenson Elementary. Many of you already have been doing this for decades. I mean, before I was born, even. And the reason I believe this is so important, there's two. The first is we've got to show our community who Jesus is really like, what he's really about, not the stereotypes. But the second thing is, I believe it's only as we die to self and live for Jesus that we experience the life he came to give us. A few years ago, I was working with a young man named Trevor, whose relationship with Christ had become kind of flat. Didn't feel anything. Didn't even believe God existed. Wasn't sure he believed God existed. And he was spending a lot of time li- living for self. He lived for sports. He lived for pleasure. He lived to figure out how he could make more money. And he was hanging on to his life very tightly and as a result he was kind of confused about where he was going, couldn't settle on a career, was just kind of going through the motions of life. Well, I invited him to go on a short-term mission trip to the Dominican Republic and he said no. I said I don't have enough money and besides I think I'd rather go to Hawaii with some friends. But I gave him a lot of pastoral encouragement, aka guilt, and he ended up going. Well, when he got there, he was assigned to do social work, which wasn't what he wanted to do. He wanted to do sports ministries, but he took it like a good soldier. And for a week, his job was to go into a poor village and teach kids about health and hygiene. And in the afternoons, he worked with mentally disabled kids. Well, one day I went with Trevor and watched him work on all of his assigned duties. And in the afternoon, there was this one kid who was so severely disabled, he couldn't talk, couldn't control his body But Trevor would wrestle with him and play games with him. And this kid would just cling to Trevor with this look of love and admiration in his eyes. And Trevor had a look on his face that I'd never seen there before. It's called a smile. And the best part was that every morning when he'd arrive in the village, all the kids in the village would run after him. And they'd be shouting out his name, Trevor, Trevor. And then when he'd get out of the truck, he'd swing them around, he'd play with them, he'd wrestle with them, and then they'd all pile on top of him and pull him down to the ground. It was so much fun to watch. That evening, I was talking to him after dinner, and I said, You know, Trevor, it was just so great to watch you today. I mean, it was like watching a sailboat on a reach or a Porsche round in a corner at top speed. It looked like you were doing exactly what God designed you to do. And I said, Trevor, when I am an old man, I will remember the look on your face when those kids piled on top of you. And he said, cut it out, man. You're making me cry. And then he said, I think I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I think I'm supposed to be a teacher. So when he got home, he enrolled in a teaching program, and that's what he does today. He's a teacher because he gave up one week. Because he served, because he denied himself, took up a cross and followed Jesus and gave his life away, he found it. And I want to ask you just one question. Does that look like a miserable man to you? Does that look like a man who's lost his life? In a way, yeah. It looks to me like a man who has lost his life by giving it away to Jesus and in the process found a better life, a newer life, a richer life. Why did you come here this morning? You know, I, I kind of always wonder that every Sunday, actually. Why are they here? Why are they coming? Why are you here? I know some of you are thinking, because my spouse made me come or whatever. But deeper than that, deeper. I mean, you know, maybe you are hoping to hear some good music or maybe you are hoping to hear a good sermon. I hope that every week. Trust me. But even deeper than that, you know why I think you came today? Because I think you want to connect with the God who made you. And I think you want to find a community of people where you can belong. And I think you're hoping that someone is going to stand up and tell you that there's more. That there's more to life than the office or the school or the daily grind. That there's more to life than the schedule and the calendar and the appointments. That there's more to life than making widgets and buying widgets and trading widgets on eBay. That there's more than being a producer, more than being a consumer, that there's more. And ever since September, as we've been talking about what the meaning of Jubilee is, I've been trying to tell you that there is so much more. That when we give our lives away in the name of Jesus, we find it. It isn't always easy, it isn't always convenient, but it's always real and it's always more. And the person who guarantees that, the person who guarantees that promise is Jesus. Who at the cross lost everything, even his life. But he knew that the cross wasn't the end, he knew the resurrection was the end. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father and someday he's coming back for you and he's coming back for me. In losing his life, Jesus found it and he found us as well. And he saved us. And now he offers us abundant life, pressed down, heaped up, and overflowing the measure, life. You see, the cross we bear always leads to the crown we wear. That is his promise and he guarantees it. And it's in that security that we can fling our lives away in his name and find the new life that he died to give us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this amazing promise that when we lose our life for your sake, we find it more than we ever knew we could have it. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to give our lives to you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.